Now this is how you rock out to start a podcast, ladies and gentlemen. All right, before we begin, let me just tell you that uh, to make this show much more manly, I am doing it totally shirtless. Those of you watching on the simulcast, I profusely apologize. Greetings, salutations. This is the Bitterness and Rage Show. I am Rob, the Buddha of bitterness, the guru of rage. And welcome to another exciting showgram. Happy Saturday, everybody. Today on the show, we'll be talking about LeBron James. Big news yesterday we'll get to in a moment. Uh, we got some World Cup leftovers for all of you. Uh, Jason Kidd, the Milwaukee Bucks, and bad sports franchises. The old-timers games in baseball wither the old-timers games. We have the QSR Spotlight, of course, featuring a Where Are They Now segment. And, of course, we'll finish with the Bitterness and Rage show Dope of the Week. But before we begin with the sports mishigas, um, this came to my attention. And I briefly want to get away from the, the format for just a second. When you think of the Amish... You think of the wagons, the funny black hats, the orange triangles that you see on the back of their wagons as they cruise up and down um, central Pennsylvania and eastern Pennsylvania. But here are two words you really don't think of back-to-back -back like that. You don't think Amish millionaires. I want to read you just a smidgen from Business Week, June 26, 2014. Uh, I quote, over the past decade, rising land prices in Lancaster County have helped fuel a kind of Amish di diaspora. There are now communities in 30 states, plus Canada, and more significantly, led many Amish to walk away from the fields altogether. And then it goes on to talk about the new businesses that some of these Amish families have gone into since farming is becoming such a dead industry. And here's the part that I want to bring up, and then we'll dive back into our usual craziness. By 2009, according to this article, more than half of all Amish households made their primary income outside of agriculture and in larger Amish communities, they're estimated there are hundreds of Amish households that have income and assets that exceed a million dollars. So Amish millionaires, who'd have thunk it? Certainly not I. All right, let's begin today um, with the news of the weekend, which yesterday uh, LeBron James announced on SportsIllustrated.com that he was coming back home to Cleveland to sort of bring full circle the Hollywood fairy tale story of one King James. And he signed today a two-year, $42 million contract uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers, so now it's all official. And I just want to mention a couple things um, about that. Oh, before I forget, before I forget, before we talk about LeBron James, I forgot to tell you all how you can find me. You can go to the, your Twitter machines, at Bitter and Rage. Send me a Twitter, give me a follow. Send me a Twitter. What a dope I am. Send me a tweet, give me a follow. Uh, you can always email me and the show at bitternessandrage at gmail.com. And you can find this little showgram that I do at bitter and rage or bitternessandrage.podbean.com. You can listen to the show, and more importantly, you can subscribe so that it's delivered to your doorstep each time I do one of these little vanity projects. All right, back to LeBron James. I apologize for that digression. So I had mentioned in the last show that whatever he does, he should do it inconspicuously and somewhat anonymously. And I guess in a way he sort of did that um, 
this time with the show that he did. He made us wait, and I, I sent on my uh, on my Twitter page. I said he was making us wait, and it was like following the Pope. Is it white smoke, Cleveland, black smoke, Miami, or the other way around? But he didn't hold an entire nation hostage, and then culminate that with this rather elaborate, uh, pretentious sit-down with his pink shirt uh, and tell Jim Gray where he was taking his talents to. But instead of making us wait, instead of making his fans wait and NBA fans wait with cryptic messages and doing a world tour and waving at his fans while we all wait salivating to find out where he was going, he instead held the NBA hostage instead of holding his fans hostage. This time uh, in 2014, four years after the decision, he was the very first domino because where he had, was going to decide to land was going to impact where teammate, now former teammate, Chris Bosch was going to land, who ultimately is going back to Miami. Carmelo Anthony, ultimately going back to the New York Knicks. Pal Gasol, they signed with the Chicago Bulls. So I don't know which is worse. Is it worse for him to make us wait, or is it worse for him to bring the NBA to a grinding halt? It seems like no matter what he does, he can't win. And in this time, he was very, very low-key. No public statements, no grandiose TV show. It wasn't even his announcement. He announced it in a first-person letter that was published by SI.com. So, again, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But somebody was being held hostage. It just was the NBA this time, which I guess looking at it in, in the totality of the circumstances, is not so bad. Um, there was some talk before, though, that he decided to sign with uh, Cleveland that he wouldn't go back because of a feud with the owner, Dan Gilbert, who did a much-publicized uh, letter in which he called LeBron a coward and indicated that the Cleveland Cavaliers would win more championships than LeBron James and the Miami Heat, which... Uh, thus far, that certainly hasn't worked out very well for Gilbert. And many said that uh, James couldn't look past that. Then how could anybody look past that? And I say that one of the reasons he went back was just the opposite. That I think in the back of his mind, he went back to Gilbert in spite of all the things that Gilbert had said. And they've, they've since talked and buried the hatchet, according to sources. But I think he goes back because LeBron James is the kind of person who takes things very personally and uses them slights perceived or otherwise as sort of motivating factors to get him to play better and to take his game to the highest possible level. And I think in the back of his mind, nothing would be better than to come back to Cleveland and lead the Cavaliers to championships and kind of rub it in the face a bit of Dan Gilbert and say, oh, see, you sent me away. Well, you didn't send me away. You slammed the door behind me and bad-mouthed me in a very public way. And here I am coming back, and not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm going to win some championships so that every time you pass me in the hallway at the Cleveland Cavaliers facility, it's going to be hard for you to look me in the eye. Now, maybe that's not his primary motivation, but you know he's got to be thinking that, that here's a chance for me to exact the best kind of revenge, which is to do things in spite of those telling you otherwise, in spite of those pulling you down. Before we leave LeBron James, for today anyway, just one warning to Cavalier fans out there who are celebrating as though they have already won the NBA championship and they certainly won the off-season NBA championship. Just a word of warning, we know this guy now. 
And don't start patting yourselves on the back and, and planning your parade routes through the center of Cleveland just yet. It's a two-year contract. He's left you once. He can leave you again. I'm not saying he will, but he left you once. There's nothing to stop him from leaving you again. And how long into the tenure does he start calling for a coaching change, for a GM change? The, the Cavaliers have hired an a, a unknown named Dave Blatt, who apparently was a European coaching legend, to lead the Cavaliers in this new era, this new LeBron James era, the the remake, I guess, the remix, the sequel to the LeBron James era. How long before he starts pulling the diva act? How long before he realizes with the, that he doesn't have the same kind of success right away before people get restless? So Cavalier fans, just remember, it's not going to be right away. Players have to get used to playing with him. He's the only superstar on this team now. I mean, Kyrie Irving's a great player. Andrew Wiggins may be a great player. Deion Waiters is a good player, certainly not a superstar. There's a solid team there, Anderson Varejao at center. But there's going to be some growing pains. They're going to be sitting around for a while watching him play. I'm not saying all 80, 82 games in next season, but there's going to be a learning curve. And there's going to be a lot of, wow, we're playing with LeBron James. And there's going to be a lot of just watching the king up and down the court before they start playing together as a team, as a functioning unit. So Cavalier fans, give it time. Don't get restless. You don't want James getting restless. You don't want to get restless. And the last thing I want to say is what does this mean for the Miami Heat besides, uh, well, we certainly know one thing it's going to mean. They're, certainly, they're not going to do as well. They're being led by a, a creaky, now former superstar. It's hard to call Dwayne Wade a superstar still. A creaky former superstar with bad knees and Chris Bosh, who clearly was the most overrated of the big three, now big two, I guess. There's applause in the background. Thank you very much. Um, but they're not going to do as well. We know that. But there's going to be a lot of, there's still a lot of LeBron James haters out there, and there always will be no matter what he does. And does this make the Miami Heat their new favorite team? They would like nothing more than for the Heat to succeed and win a championship despite not having LeBron James so they can point their long Arsenio Hall-like, E.T.-like fingers and say, you see? You see? James ain't nothing. And we all know that that's an ignorant opinion, but there's no shortage of those in this country about players that people hate and make decisions about and then nothing can ever change their mind but if the Miami Heat go out and are more successful than the Cavaliers at least initially maybe not a championship but if they're more successful than the Cavaliers initially there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and a lot of hate that comes bubbling back to the surface James has built up a lot of goodwill this weekend by re-signing with his old team but they're still out there and we'll see it's going to be interesting this season to see which team does better it, it's probably going to be the Cavs that do better even in the short term but the Heat do still have some good players not championship players but some good players so we'll see what happens there and we'll see what kind of what kind of haters come back out of the woodwork after this so stay tuned on that one we'll talk about that in a few months and the season kicks in again all right tomorrow is the finals of the World Cup the 2014 World Cup Germany and Argentina so what has happened to the World Cup bandwagon here in this country. The United States made it to the round of 16, the dreaded knockout round, as they call it. And I would say that with their loss to Belgium in the knockout round, the World Cup bandwagon in this country has crashed, and it's now on the side of the road waving down passers-by. 
And a lot of people took that loss really hard. And I don't I understand why. I mean again national pride and all of that, but I think we, we need to have tempered our expectations just a bit. We should have been really happy just to have been in the knockout round and not find ourselves weeping and crying like this was some big surprise and the biggest tragedy of our lives. I mean, let's look back just for a second. The United States scored five goals in four games. They won one out of three contests. They backed into the knockout round. They were lucky to be in the knockout round. So we got all angst-ridden. We got all pinched. And then this death shroud fell upon all of us when the United States lost. And really, we should have said, eh, that's what we thought of anyway. We didn't think we were going to make it this far to begin with. So what are we all crying about? I mean, if you're a Brazil and you're Brazilian and you're a follower of the, that team, then then you're crushed. Then it's like a, it's, it's very funereal in nature and the whole country grinds to a halt. But here, we just got lucky to be in the knockout round. So it's really no big deal. But the bigger point is, now that the United States is gone, what does it mean for the United States going forward? And I don't mean United States soccer so much, although we'll get to that in a moment, but I just mean, what now? What now for the United States? The World Cup is over, essentially, for us. How many people are still going to watch? How many of the fans that watched while the United States were in are still going to watch now that the United States is out? And there you have your hardcore, diehard fans, but how many of them are still going to be watching the non-diehards, I mean. How many outside of that core group of soccer fans in this country are still going to be watching? So they'll continue to watch. I'm sure. Not as many. Uh, not as many as hoped. So we can answer affirmatively yes. And let's face it. Uh, if looking forward down the road to the 2018 World Cup in Russia, where do we go from here? Is the United States going to improve? I think it's, it's pretty blatantly obvious now. The United States needs to improve on their scoring Whatever they have to do, and I know the best players still don't play in this country, but they got to improve their scoring. I mean, again, five goals in four games isn't going to cut it. You might back into the knockout round, but you're not going to get much farther than that. The bigger picture is, will it improve and grow the sport in this country? Will this latest showing in the knockout round, this latest success, and making it to the knockout round is success in this country, given how well we are uh, internationally, how much of a showing on the international stage U.S. soccer shows. Will it improve Major League Soccer attendance in this country? No. I don't think either. It won't improve MLS attendance maybe a smidge, but it's for growing the sport in this country. No matter how well we do, the bottom line is at least for a couple more generations, as long as football and basketball are still king in this country, and they are, um, the best athletes are going to be drawn to those sports. For the last 20 years, since we had our uh, the World Cup here in 1994, we've been talking about how much this is going to make, there's going to be a soccer renaissance, a Matthew McConaughey-like renaissance in this country for soccer, and that's just not going to happen. That's just not realistic. Maybe glacially, I mean, really slowly it'll grow, but we're not going to see that kind of rebirth for quite a while, not as long as the European leagues still pay more, or it's more prestigious to play in Europe than it is to play here. Basketball and football are still going to have a death-like hold on all the best athletes. And if you are a great soccer player and you are from this country, you're not really going to play in our leagues. Yeah, you're going to go overseas where you can get more fame, you can get more prestige, and more importantly, more money. And what about the United States itself? If the United States truly wants to commit itself to playing soccer on the same level as the European teams, 
then they have to make the, a real commitment, an emotional, financial, spiritual commitment. Not just talk about every four years when the World Cup is around, then five minutes later, after the United States is gone, then your enthusiasm for it wanes. That can't happen. And it's got to be a real commitment, not just every four years, but every day. Maybe they start today and say, okay, the World Cup ends, we'll take a couple of days off, and now we're going to start building this sport in this country so that four years from now, eight years, 12 years, what have you, we can be competitive. But how many times do we talk about the World Cup? Do we talk about soccer and the growth of soccer and promoting soccer when there's no World Cup? Not very often. So the United States exceeding expectations, that's great. We can all rally around the flag. But the real growth of soccer is not going to occur until there's some definite philosophical change in this country. And who knows when that'll happen. Speaking of philosophy, the philosophy of running a professional sports franchise. Once again, bad franchises put on display uh, a couple weeks ago when it was reported that Jason Kidd, after a year with the, with, I almost said the New Jersey Nets, with the Brooklyn Nets, decided to jump ship and join the Milwaukee Bucks. A decision that was handled very, very poorly, and we're going to get to that in a moment. So poorly, in fact, that the GM, John Hammond, was unaware that the owners of the team, Mark Lazary and Wes Edens, were thinking about firing Larry Drew and replacing him with Jason Kidd. And Larry Drew himself had no idea that his job was even in jeopardy. He probably picked up the paper and read that uh, Jason Kidd was being considered for this job, and he thought, wait a minute, that's my job. There is no opening for a coach here in, in Milwaukee because I'm the coach. And why the Bucks? The Milwaukee Bucks have been a dumpster fire of a sports franchise. I believe they're one of the worst, if not the worst team in the league last year, and why anybody would go there. So why does Jason Kidd want to leave the Nets? Well, it is a team full of senior citizens, and senior citizens, of course, in basketball means people in their mid to late 30s. They had a slow start. They managed to race their way to a 44 and 38 finish, which is good, but not very consistent. The team has no salary cap space. They have no first-round draft picks this year, and their first-round draft picks over the next few years are few and far between. There's not much potential to improve if you're coaching the Brooklyn Nets. Jason Kidd and I always get along with his GM and some of the players, according to league sources, and it's hard to command locker room respect. Let's face it, when you are the same age or close to the same age as some of your players, and just about an hour ago, you were, you were in your playing career playing against some of them. So maybe it wasn't a perfect fit there. But so why the Bucks then? The Bucks are a young, up-and-coming team. They have salary cap space. They had the number two overall pick in Jabari Parker from Duke, who could be a huge star. So there's potential and room for growth on that team. They'll have high first-round picks in the near future. The team is not going to do much better overnight. Perhaps Jason Kidd looked around the league and saw other first-year coaches with no experience, Steve Kerr with Golden State and Derek Fisher with the New York Knicks, getting more money than he did when he was a Steve Kerr and Derek Fisher, former player with uh, no NBA coaching experience. The And he thought, well, they're making all that money. I should make that kind of money, too, because look at me. I took this team and took them to a 44-38 and 38 finish. So I should be getting paid 
more money, so I'm going to leave this team behind and burn another bridge in my storied NBA career. Uh, Lazary and Edens, the aforementioned owners of the Bucks, have a history with Kidd. They were the minority owners of the then New Jersey Nets when they went to the NBA Finals. Lazary is a financial advisor to Jason Kidd, and I believe they both, they all have the same agent. So it seems to be a, a perfect match. But why not? Why shouldn't he have left the Brooklyn Nets? When he was 10 and 21, the Nets stuck with him. He should have been fired, given the collection of talent they had. Uh, to go 10 and 21 could only have meant, in the minds of most observers, that it was some sort of a coaching problem, that it was the wrong fit, that he was not the proper coach. There were some of his some of his moves were both on the court and off the court, literally on the court, kind of knuckleheaded. Uh, the dropping of the soda and on the court floor, that whole incident, the whole soda gate incident. Um, the shenanigans of firing his top assistant, Lawrence Frank, who many thought after that, after Lawrence Frank was fired unceremoniously, I might add, the team would continue to go down the dumper. But the Nets took a chance on him as a coach when he had no experience and continued to take a chance on him. And they continued to have faith in him when they said at 10 and 21, we're going to give this guy, uh, keep giving this guy a shot. Now, he did reward them by having the best record in the NBA after January 1st. So, is this how you pay back your friends? Is this what you do when people keep their faith in you? The Nets, you also recall, are the team allowed him to rehabilitate his image when he was a player. That some of the things he did as a player, again, on and off the court, that brought uh, a bad name to him, a bad reputation, they still decide, you know, we're going to stick with you. We're going to allow you to rehabilitate yourself. So it's, an, it's a mystery why he would leave the Nets. And it's, but what's not a mystery is why the Nets, excuse me, why the Bucks would do something like this, why the Bucks would allow, would perpetrate this sort of crime against the Brooklyn Nets. The Bucks have been a dead-end franchise for years. Yes, a thousand years ago with uh, Oscar Robertson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they won an NBA championship. But they're a dead-end franchise, and it's not an accident why they are one. Bad teams tend to stay bad because of bad ownership and bad decision making. And this is another example, especially when new owners come in, trying to make their mark on the team and not having the team's, or God forbid, the fans' best interest at heart. They let ego push aside common sense and they find themselves making decisions that make themselves look good or worse, that they won't undo bad decisions because in their mind, there's a big ego hit there, and they're not want to, they don't want to put themselves in that position. So egos get in the way of team success. Now, good teams have fairly anonymous owners and front offices, and they just win. So uh, I'm a little pop quiz for you listeners out there. Go ahead and name me the owner and or the GM of the world champion San Antonio Spurs. Go ahead. I'll give you a moment. I'll lay you to listen to the, a crowd cheering. Let's continue to listen to Allison Chains in concert while you think about it. Go ahead. I'll wait. You can't do it, can you? And you know what? Uh, neither can I. And that's okay. It doesn't matter whether we know who the GM or the president or owner of the San Antonio Spurs is. They just win. So here are some teams that are bad and just stay bad. And let's look at their owner, the Cleveland Browns and Jimmy Haslam. Right, the New York Knicks and James Dolan. How many knuckleheaded decisions other than bringing in Phil Jackson has James Dolan made? 
How many bad decisions has Jimmy Haslam made with the Cleveland Browns and the rotating door, the revolving door in the front office and the coaching staff? Dan Gilbert of the Cleveland Cavaliers, although we're going to put an asterisk by his name because if the James things work, the LeBron James thing works out, he looks like a genius and it's a step in the right direction to rehabilitate his image. But we've already talked about some of the bad moves that he's made as an owner, not to mention with the letter and everything else that he's done. And then going back to professional football, and it pains me to say this, but little Danny Snyder of the Washington Redskins, Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys, how much success have these teams had since they've taken over as owner? And I realize, at least in the case of Dan Snyder, he's trying to be less visible. But still, it's no accident that since the 90s, and especially since the Cowboys won their three championships in five years, and Jerry Jones has become more of a presence, and Daniel Snyder has always been a presence, that the teams have been sort of stuck in neutral. Bad teams are bad not because they're cursed or because of bad luck. It starts at the top and it works its way down to the field and the court. All right, the last thing I want to talk about before we get to the QSR spotlight is old-timers games. For those of you that wonder what an old-timers game is, in baseball, it used to be a tradition that teams would wheel out all of their former Hall of Famers onto the field, slap a uniform on them, and they'd play a game, a, ba a real game against each other, and the fans would go crazy for the nostalgia of seeing some of their beloved stars of the past, some of their Hall of Famers of the past, playing and entertaining them, and it was a real sort of a time machine moment for baseball fans. And that, they did a lot of that in the 70s and the 80s and maybe some in the 90s. And there are still some teams that continue to have an old-timers game, like the Yankees do one every year. And it, nothing makes you feel older than a player you just finished rooting for uh, is now an old-timer. And they're not even your own age. Um, I'm referring to Johnny Damon uh, and Hideki Matsui of the New York Yankees playing in their most recent old-timers game a few weeks ago. Very sad. So the old-timers game, though, is disappearing, and it's sad. It really is sad because for baseball fans, there are players that you say, gosh, I wish I could have seen them play in their prime, and you're certainly not seeing them play in their prime in these old-timers games, but it would be nice to see them. It's just nice to see them in the uniform again, even if they did what Joe DiMaggio used to do, step out of the dugout, tip your cap, and go back in. We eat that up. Real baseball fans with a sense of history eat that stuff up. And I understand that Part of the reason why those games are disappearing is, as Hank Aaron said in a recent article in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, he doesn't want to get injured anymore. He doesn't want to run the bases and or pull a hamstring or pull his back out swinging a bat. I mean, he just doesn't want to get hurt doing this, and that I can understand. So the, the threat of injury has probably led to the demise of these kinds of games. I think a lot of kids today, and not to sound like the old man that stands outside and tells you to get off his lawn, but I think kids today kind of turn their back on nostalgia. If you're someone who likes to look in the past, not live in the past, but look in the past and say, wow, look how things were and look how great these things were in the past. There's a whole generation of people that think that you're stuck back there and they deny history and they deny nostalgia. And I think that's part of the problem. I think that the audience that will be going to these games, we ask you to have your fathers and your grandfathers and older brothers who want to see these players again, some of whom they saw when they were in their prime. The kids, the ones that all advertisers go for, that 18 to 35 set, they're not into the whole nostalgia thing. 
and they don't want to see a bunch of fossils trying to run the bases, even if some of those fossils are in the Hall of Fame. But here's what it's not. I think the, the most ridiculous reason for the demise of the All-Star, not All-Star, of the old, well, we'll talk about the All-Star game another time. The demise of the old-timers game is uh, Hall of Famer Robin Yount of the, formerly of the Milwaukee Brewers, who said recently, and this is the same article by Bob Wolfley of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that I got the Hank Aaron quote from, Robin Young said he's not a fan of old-timers games. I'm quoting, quote, I'm not a fan of old-timers games, in all honesty, and I'll tell you why. Some of these kids will recognize names and not ever have seen them play. Old-timers games, when we played, were fairly common. And then he goes on to say, uh, what a great player this guy was. Then you have an old-timers game, and this guy hasn't touched a ball or bat for 15 years. He's out of shape. And you ask him to go try to play baseball, and the youngsters say, and you know you're old when you say youngsters. Dad, that's the guy you told me was so good? Let me tell you something, Robin Yon. You're not the dope of the week, but that comment was pretty stupid. I don't think kids, I don't think the worry should be that kids are going to see these players and not understand that they're older and they're not as good as they used to be. I don't think any kid, unless he's, well, let me not say something I might regret. But no kid is going to go out there and say, I don't understand. You told me this player was so good. Now look at him. He's old and feeble and can barely run the bases. You just sound like a grumpy old man who's never been invited to play in an old-timers game. And so you make up some crazy reason why kids wouldn't go see it. They're going to know the difference. They're going to know that this player wasn't in the Hall of Fame because he's playing like he plays now, that a 65-year-old man, his skills have diminished just slightly. So Grumpy Robin Yount, you're not the dope of the week, but you were definitely a finalist for that comment. All right, the QSR Spotlight. Yesterday was a big free food day. Free food Friday, the dreaded triple F. 7-Eleven had their free Slurpee day for 7-Eleven day, and uh, Krispy Kreme, I believe, had some sort of almost free donut promotion. Chick-fil-A is no exception. Yesterday was Cow Appreciation Day. July 11th is Chick-fil-A's Cow Appreciation Day, in which if you dress up, a quote, and I'm reading from their press release, head to hoof, so funny, you will receive a free breakfast, lunch, or dinner combo meal, which includes an entree, side, and beverage. And what struck me about this is the last year, according to a a spokesperson for the agency, 900,000 customers dressed as cows. So you had almost a million people dressing as a cow for a free sandwich. This country never ceases to amaze me that you'll dress as a cow for a free sandwich. So if any of you participated in the Cow Appreciation Day yesterday, July 11th, please send me a Twitter. A tw send me a Twitter. Gosh, now who's the old man telling you to get off his lawn? Send me a tweet at, at Bitter and Rage. Or send me an email at bitternessandrage at gmail.com and tell me exactly why you did it and how you dressed as a cow. And, and you have to dress more than just a hat that has a cow in it or is black and white. It's got to be, quote, head to hoof. And I'm wondering if those 900,000 people showed up dressed as a cow from head to toe or they just wore a black and white suit. All right. Um, if you're a child of the 80s and 90s, then you remember the show Beverly Hills 90210, one of the Fox Network's best shows, and it produced some big stars. And this is a story about how the mighty have fallen, a where are they now story. 
the big stars from 90210, the big male stars anyway, were Luke Perry and Jason Priestley. And if you're wondering what's happened to Jason Priestley, I have the answer right here in a Tim Hortons Donuts press release. Tim Hortons Dueling Donuts is back for a second year with actor Jason Priestley returning uh, as a judge. So this is a contest in which you show the Tim Horton Donut Company that you can create the best donut that I guess will then be used by the Tim Hortons people as one of their showcase donuts. The other celebrities, by the way, if you're wondering, maybe I'm being too hard on Jason Priestley, here are the other celebrities that Jason Priestley will be with. Uh, Jan Arden, Anna Olson, and Ben Mulroney. Uh, raise your hand if you know who any of them are. It's okay, I'll wait. So Jason Priestley, where have ye gone? Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, Burger King has a, a gay pride whopper. Last week, or a couple weeks ago, Burger King restaurant in San Francisco introduced a proud whopper in celebration of the city's 44th annual gay pride parade. The, whop the, the whopper was packaged in a rainbow wrapper, which I think, you know, great. It's a great idea. Um, if you want to get some publicity, after all, you do want people to buy your burgers, and it's a good way to play up to your clientele, but it's a burger. It's a Whopper. I won't get into the negative reaction, the, the boycotting of Burger King, the threatened boycotting, or people saying, I'm never going to buy a Burger King Whopper again because you dared to wrap it in a rainbow wrapper in honor of gay pride. But what I think is funny is there was a whole video that went along with it, um, and the gist of it was that the burger is the same, that outside is a rainbow packaging, but inside it's the same burger, you know, that whole, we're all the same on the inside kind of appeal. And some of those reactions, the positive reactions, just made me chuckle. Um, one of them was, a burger has never made me cry before. Another person said, it makes me feel supported, it makes me feel proud, it's just a burger, but it baby steps the whole way. And I just think, it's a burger. And it's amazing what generates controversy and what generates over-the-top reactions, isn't it? Okay, uh, lastly, I want to talk about some White Castle news. Um, Alice Cooper, rocker Alice Cooper, is now a member of the White Castle Hall of Fame, which until recently I had no idea such a thing existed. I'm not sure how one gets into the White Castle Hall of Fame, other than uh, I hope it's not just sheer gluttony, um, but... In addition now, he can put this on his resume, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 2011, White Castle Hall of Fame 2014. According to the good people at White Castle, 7,645 people have tried to get in since 2001, and only 170 have actually been inducted. So congratulations to Alice Cooper making the White Castle Hall of Fame. Uh, don't forget, folks, that on July the 31st, the White Castle Crave Mobile Contest comes to an end. Uh, again, if you want to give me your ideas, uh, you can use the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag BNR show crave contest, or you can just post a tweet, um, on the at bitter and rage page. Hey, that rhymes. And give me some of your ideas. One idea that was mentioned to me was a video of somebody and I'll, I'll take the bullet on this one. I'll be the somebody could be dressed head to toe in an outfit made out of White Castle sliders eating White Castle, just to show your sheer commitment. 
So remember, if you want to get the Cravemobile to come to us and have a bitterness and rage so White Castle party, send the ideas in. Let's get that those ideas in before the contest expires on July 31st. So let's finish things up the way we always do with the Bitterness and Rage show, Dope of the Week. And today we're going to back to the world of baseball. No, not Robin Yount. But I want to talk about Dick Monfort. Yes, that's right, Dick Monfort, the owner of the Colorado Rockies. When you are a the owner of a professional sports franchise, you have to have a thick skin, and you have to expect that people are going to say negative things about you, that criticism is part of the job. Your players at Coors Field, I'm sure, have heard their share of boos and have heard their share of criticism. So take the high road when somebody criticizes you. And to it, there's this story that the, a news station in Colorado uh, got an email between the longtime season ticket holder, Dick Monfort, in which the fan said, the Monforts, and this is after a, a particularly galling loss to one of these, uh, to the fan, quote, this is an email sent to the Colorado Rockies. The Monforts have no business owning a baseball team, and their missteps in hiring, quote, the good old boys for front office and management positions is solid evidence of their ineptitude. They have ruined pro baseball in this region while generating millions of dollars in profit. Now, I'm sure the Rockies get this all the time. And if you're Dick Monfort, you should just ignore them. But Dick Monfort decided to email this person back, and the person who wrote this the first email said he never expected a reply. And the reply I got back was, uh, by the way you talk, maybe Denver doesn't deserve a franchise. Maybe time for it to find a new home. And then the sardonic thanks at the end of it, which we all know when he says thanks at the end, he's really telling this guy to go self-procreate. So CBS4 in Denver asked Monfort what he about that. He said uh, what he meant was, he, Dick Monfort, doesn't deserve to own a franchise. Not that the fans don't deserve it. Dick, Bobola, you said, and I quote, again, maybe Denver doesn't deserve a franchise. Maybe time for it to find a new home. You were busted. You were called on it. And you said, maybe, if, you, if it was you that you shouldn't own a franchise, you should have said, maybe I don't deserve to own it. But you essentially were sticking out your middle finger telling everyone that fan was number one and saying to the city of Denver and this fan, if you don't like my team, I'll just pack it up and take it somewhere else. So when you get called on that, Dick, don't say, oh, no, I really meant, don't say it's not you, it's me. Don't try the George Costanza, it's not you, it's me routine. You said it was the fans of Denver. You were busted fair and square. And your response of maybe it's me who doesn't deserve it, when clearly you meant maybe it's Denver who doesn't deserve it, for that kind of response, you, Dick Monfort, are the Bitterness and Rage Show Dope of the Week. All right, folks, another jam-packed showgram is in the books. As always, thank you very much for listening. Let's go through how you can get in touch with me or the show again. Send me a tweet. Give me a follow at, at Bitter and Rage on your Twitter machines. Send me an email at bitterness and rage show, or excuse me, bitterness and rage at gmail.com. And you can find us bitternessandrage.podbean.com. Give it a listen, give it a subscription. As always, the Bitterness and Rage Show is a Miyasoti Cologne production. I want to say happy first anniversary to the greatest producer in the world. And 
Bye-bye, everybody.